0: I woke up this morning and I was sitting on the edge of the bed, and my wife looked at me and she goes, Are you okay? And I said, I think so. These Monday holidays mess my week up. For those of us who are list people who do certain things on certain days, and you get a day of the week that's all messed up, and here we are. Thank God for the grace of God and the strength that He gives to all of us. Praise the Lord. You, today, as you see, we walked in and and somebody said, are we having a wedding today? And I said, I don't think so. If we are, it'll be a surprise to me, but as you can see, we have a special day. And we had hoped to be able to have this uh, celebration in both services, but uh, some family considerations were important, and so we're only going to be able to have it in a second, but I do want to tell you, uh, that we have two young ladies today that have completed the progress through their girls' ministries and going to be crowned today as honor stars. And as I was sitting here this morning, I thought, how many of you that are here today have been honor stars? I know that through the years, Grace has had a number of them. I see some hands over here, over here, uh, over here. Fantastic. I just want you to know that. Um, even this is something that we get to see on a regular basis, but some churches never have any honor stars. It's quite a process. And, and so I want to thank those of you who've been involved in the lives of our girls, and some of you have been teachers and stuff, uh, that there's going to be a celebration. And if you want to, the, to eat the cake, you have to come back at the end of the second service. And so, you know, you get, you get the full sermon today, they get a devotion, and they get cake because they don't get the whole sermon. So... I'm It sure, depends on what your appetite's like, whether you win or lose today. <laughs> but it's a wonderful day to serve the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Psalm 127, and I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 5. We're continuing on in the series that we've done for the last month or so about life and the family, when we've been talking about the family and how God's Word applies in each of the situations uh, that we face Today, the title of the message is What is Really Best for the Kids? What is Really Best for the Kids? Through the years of ministry, as I have sat in a number of courtrooms, I have been sitting there as a character witness for different individuals when their life was falling apart, when marriages were falling apart. And I've heard a judge on more than one occasion look at parents and say, Well, I'm going to be deciding today on what is best for the kids. I've heard attorneys say that. Well, what's best for the kids? And today, I want us to take a look at what the Bible says is really best for the kids uh, as we begin to look at what the Scripture has to say. So, Father, as we approach you this morning, I I recognize that you have a plan and a purpose for every life. We recognize that since you are the creator of life and since you are the one that creates and knits each of us together while we were still in our mother's womb and that you have written a book about our life before one breath has ever been taken, that it would be wise of us to approach you with the questions of what is really best for the kids. I ask, Lord, that you would add the element of your anointing and that there would be pieces and parts of the word, whether it applies to us as parents or as grandparents or aunts or uncles or, or brothers or sisters, that there would be pieces of this that you would deposit within us that we could pull out and use in moments when we have influence in the lives of children, I ask. So, Lord, we approach you today. And we thank you that you were with us. We thank you that you've allowed us to worship you. And now, plant this seed deep within our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, states this. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born to one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. We have entered a day and an age when some parents begin to wonder if their children really are a blessing from the Lord. There are times when every one of us as parents wonder, oh, if I had it to do over again, how would I approach parenting differently? I find it interesting that as we approach this particular subject today that there's a Camillus family that has been in the national news. You already know what I'm talking about. I was so excited when I heard a national news person mention Camillus until, what I, until I saw what the topic was about. About Michael Rotundo, who's a 30-year-old man, who had to be ordered to leave his parents' house. How many of you, and I'm not... I, you know, I'm not uh, saying that you ought to see this movie. How many of you remember a movie called Failure to Launch years and years ago? Some of you do, about a young man that just wouldn't leave his parents' house, was was not going to grow up. I found it interesting as he was being shown in the courtroom, and he had a lot of things to say, as this 30-year-old young man, and every time they showed his parents, they were sitting together, and you could just tell they were going, I wish we could be anywhere else in the world but here. They went through of all the things that the parents had done to try to help him you know they'd offered to give him $1,100 to find his own place they, they offered him advice You know they said sell all the things that you have of any significant value your stereo tools, whatever it is you need the money and you have no place for that stuff here because it's all going with you apparently his mother and father told him listen there's a, there are jobs available even for those with poor work histories like yours boy they were bragging on him there weren't they they said go get one of those jobs because you have to work. And apparently he ignored all of this from the time in early February when his parents ordered him with a court order to get out of the house. And so finally after 5 notices they had to take him to court. And after the judge looked at him and said, "You not you must get out right now." His response to that was, "This is outrageous. This is outrageous." That I have to be thrown out after I've grown accustomed to a certain level of care. All of you are laughing because your kids are out of the house now, aren't you? The rest of them are going, oh, no. What is a great parent? Is it someone who does everything for their child or everything for their children? Or is it someone who trains their children to do things? What is it that motivates parents, especially those who who find that they feel the need that they've got to do everything for their children? Is it a desire to be needed? Is it a desire to be liked, or thanked, or praised? A need to be friends with their children? I believe that as we face this generation that we do a disservice to them by constantly serving our children and constantly doing everything for them that enables them to be lazy because they know they're going to be taken care of. It's also amazing how much our children can accomplish when they need to. When they are on a mission, when they have a responsibility, I find it interesting, and this is coming from one who was involved with athletics throughout my life, the difference in the way that your coaches speak to your children and the way that parents speak to their children. I've heard coaches yell and scream things of encouragement and parents go, I would never talk to my student that way or my child that way. And yet these children raise themselves an ability to try to reach the level of whatever accomplishment that they might have as responsibilities are put upon them. There's a book that's written by Lisa and Francis Chan called You and Me Forever, and there's a chapter within that book, and I, I use it a lot as I'm relating to people and in, in, in counseling them in preparation for marriage and, and parenting, and there's a chapter there that I'm going to be using for, for much of what I'm going to bring forth to you this morning because it is, it's so valuable. But I would like us this morning for the next few minutes to look through the biblical prism at what parenting looks like through the desires and the commands of the Lord And what we can expect then from our children. There's an outline in the bulletin for you, and I would encourage you to take a look at that if you have it nearby and if you want to jot down some notes. I recognize that not everybody that is here this morning is parents. Some of us are grandparents, some of you are great grandparents, some of you know other children that are near you that you have some influence in their lives. Some of you may want to jot down some notes to give to your kids because I don't know about you, but I've discovered my children parent their children way differently than I parented them. And uh, I have had to be very careful in how I approach that. And I see a lot of heads nodding of grandparents around here this morning. But perhaps there's something, nuggets of truth, that you can use this morning. But the first point I'd like to make is parenting in light of God's glory. I remember when I was a youth pastor and my children were very young. That at that stage of my life, when my kids were very young, I was instructing the parents of teenagers on things that they could do that might bring greater health to their homes. There were many times that I was sitting there in that situation and I'm instructing these parents thinking, oh Lord Jesus, I hope that when my kids become teenagers, I can live up to everything I'm asking them to do. I hope that I'm not going to find in my own life that I'm inconsistent or that uh, that." Even worse yet, that everything that I'm asking them to accomplish, I'm incapable of doing. And I remember thinking, Lord, just help me as I get to that stage where my kids are growing up to be able to apply the very truths that I am trying to teach. And I can tell you now that Cindy and I have lived through the years of of raising our two children... That frankly, as we look back on it and we were discussing it, the greatest goal of our life as raising our kids was that someday they would love God more than they would love us. That they would have a love for God that would be greater than their love for us. And that within that, we, we trust as parents that we help our kids to, to find their purpose in the Lord. To find their gifts and interest in the things that he has deposited within them. To find their security in him and not the family and not us. And the best way to do that is to let your kids know that you love God more than you love them. That you love God more than you love them. The first way to do that is to be an example to them. For those of you that have already raised your kids, a word that we have for parents is this. Your children are way more perceptive than you think they are. They are experts at determining in your life what are just words and what are your values. You can tell them to love Jesus, but if your time and your resources go to other places, they will know that your words and affections are not where you say they are. They will quickly determine those things because kids know when we fake it. They know. And so here's the question that every parent should be asking. What will break my heart more if my kids don't end up loving me or if my kids don't end up loving God? What will break my heart more? What I can tell you is the nice thing is is if your kids truly end up as they grow up and love Jesus and have him involved in their life, they will love you too because I've never yet seen a child that is in love with Jesus that doesn't have deep respect and appreciation and is grateful for their parents who truly lived it out before them. Not only must you be their example, but you need to be their spiritual teacher. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Scripture says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping their decrees and commands. There is wrapped up within this scripture verse the indication that your children will do what you do, that if you keep the commands, if you, as long as you live, live in a way that honors God, they will follow you because they've heard not just your words but they've seen your actions and you become to them the spiritual teacher. Sadly, many people neglect this responsibility and they assume that the training of their child as it relates to spiritual things falls entirely on the church, falls upon the Royal Ranger leaders, falls upon the girls' ministries leaders, falls upon the youth group and their leadership. And while I would say to you today that we are blessed within this church to have wonderful additional support as it relates to these ministries, it will not be any of us that stand before God to give account of how we parented your children. It will be you. And God commands parents to teach their children to love God and love His commands. And so here's some things that you can do to practically put that into practice. Number one, Use Scripture constantly with your children. Remind them of the glory of God. Remind them of His holiness. Remind them that together we in our family celebrate the fact that we are servants under the Most High God and we recognize Him in everything. The more that you talk about the greatness of God in your life, the deeper it plants itself in the hearts of your children. Also... Don't be afraid to tell your children from a very early age that mom and dad can't control life. You can't control everything and that neither can they. That everything is in the hands of God so that at an early age they will learn to trust him. Let them know from an early age that every breath they breathe is a gift from God. So that they grow up with a deep appreciation, not an entitlement attitude, but an appreciation that they are serving the one who has given them life and given them breath. Let them know that we live for his glory and not for ours. Teach them that there are causes that they can be involved with and to give themselves away in service to others so that at the end of their life they will have something to look back on that will be seen in the lives of others and not just themselves. Make sure that prayer is natural for them and that God is the center of all of their attention and that we cater to His majesty. I would say that out of all of the parents that I speak to, this is the one area the enemy seems to attack the most is trying to keep parents from praying with their children or trying to have prayer as the center of a home. Please, parents, pray with your children at an early age so that it is natural for them. Use every opportunity to remind them that God should be central in all we do, that we measure our life and our accomplishments by what God has instilled within us and that he is to be the central focus of our life. Take opportunities to teach our children the importance of honoring their teachers and honoring every authority figure because God has placed them there and that delegated authority is a gift from heaven because we're living in a day and age where we are seeing a generation that has no respect for authority whatsoever. And the lack of respect for authority quickly will spill over into an arrogant lack of respect for God. Children who were allowed to grow up in a home when they speak disrespectfully to their mother speak disrespectfully to their father without being challenged and without being disciplined will find themselves as they enter into their teenage years questioning God's right to give them commands that go against their wants or the things that they think or the way that they feel because they have never have learned to discipline themselves under authority. Lord, help us as we apply these things. Secondly, there's parenting in light of the gospel. The truth of the gospel has huge implications for parenting. As believers, we know that our righteousness comes from God and our ability to live a righteous life comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that motivates us and changes us from the inside out. And as parents, sometimes we forget that this will be true of our children as well, that God is our only hope. God is your children's Only hope. And if the Spirit is not in them, if they have not yielded themselves at an early age to the desires of God living within them, then they will discover that all of your parenting is nothing more than behavior modification. It's why we dedicate our babies. We don't make them Christians because we can't, but we can dedicate them asking God to create within them at a very early age a a heart that will respond to Him. So that as soon as they're old enough, even as children, that they can say, I want Jesus to be my Savior and have the Holy Spirit indwell them. And in that moment, you as a parent can begin to speak to the Spirit within them to motivate the way that they live. A pastor friend of mine had an invitation to leave the church that he was pastoring and go to a new city to a church that had been through some difficult times and they had asked him to come because they felt that he had the skills necessary to help them get back on track. He had some teenagers at the time and he sat down with them and began to explain to them about a new opportunity and all of them said, please, please dad, don't make us move. He and his wife began to pray about it, and they felt prompted in their spirit that this is something that God wanted them to do, even though the children didn't want to go. And so he sat down with them and says, in obedience to God, we're going to move. As they made that move, their middle child, a son, began to rebel completely, Begin in anger to, to speak to them in ways that he'd never spoken to them before. And there were many occasions that they would call and say, would you please pray with us? We know that we've been walking in obedience, but the result of what we're seeing in our middle child is, is difficult to take, and we have questioned ourselves on many occasions. There were times when that young man would say to them, I don't even want to go to church, and you can't make me, and yet they held firm and said, you know what, as long as you're living in our house, you will abide by our rules, and our family goes to church on Sunday. Not only that, but... You will participate in the activities of our youth ministry. You will be there. Your mind doesn't have to be there, but your body will be there. And it was at a youth convention that this young man didn't want to go to that God, through the Holy Spirit, began to knock down walls within his life and something had happened within him and he was transformed and he came back home and he began to tell his parents, God spoke to me. I didn't want to go, but you made me go, but God spoke to me there. And then three months later at a national youth convention, God solidified a call of God upon his heart and transformed him completely. And years later he looked back and he said, that move was the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for not giving in to my wants but standing firm and parenting me in light of the gospel. So parents, when your children are rebelling, pray. And then pray some more. The Holy Spirit can change them. He can speak to them in ways that you can't. He can direct them in ways that you can't. And he can transform them in ways that you can't. Just keep living before the Lord. Keep doing what's right before the Lord. And keep being a parent before God. And give God the opportunity to do that work. Thirdly, parenting in light of Christ's example My wife and I are both preacher's kids. Some of you are going, oh, that explains a lot. We laugh because back in the day, and some of you will remember this, when we would have evangelists come or missionaries come, you know, churches that my folks pastored and her folks pastored, they didn't have the money to put them in a hotel. When when they came, they stayed in the pastor's house. Or they stayed in somebody in the church's house, and some of you have hosted them through the past, but... I was the only son in my family. I had two younger sisters, and so whenever we had a a missionary or an evangelist come, that meant I'm getting booted out of my room, and I had to sleep on the floor in my sister's room. How humiliating is that? Cindy remembers being booted out of her room on more than one occasion as well, and I remember telling my dad just about how absolutely unfair this is. And that they needed to rethink their policy of inviting guests into our home if it was going to upset my ability to be able to sleep in my own bed. That did not go over well, I will just tell you. My dad sat down with me one time and said, I need to talk to you about something, son. He says, I know that you feel that this is unfair to you, but I want you to look at it through a different view lens. And he began to explain to me that every time that I had to be booted out of my routine and every time an evangelist came and stayed in our home or a missionary, he said, I want you to start watching the way that people respond in the church. He says, because when they come to the altar and you see when an evangelist comes and people come forward and they get saved or they get filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit or when a a missionary comes and you see people that are responding and suddenly they want to yield their lives to being missionaries. He said, I want you to understand none of this could happen if it wasn't for the sacrifice that you made and that everything that takes place in the lives and the ministry of those people and every soul that they win to Christ, you will get a chance to be rewarded for because you sacrificed to make it possible. Well, my dad knew how to shut me up. And I began to learn serving was a form of partnership with Christ. And there were lessons in serving others at our own personal expense that we learned from an early age. And it was just exactly like the example that Christ illustrated through his whole life on earth for us what it meant to serve people by sacrifice. And I encourage you as parents to teach that to your children, that the the sacrifices that you make as a family for the cause of the gospel, that there is a reward that is coming for them in eternity. And if they will just learn the heart of service, that it will be a benefit to them. Fourthly, there's parenting in light of God's mission. When I was a teenager, my father was the national youth director in the Assemblies of God, and so he traveled a lot, Again, because of the way that he had raised us as children, we understood that sometimes giving my father away so that he could travel and minister in other places was a form of partnership for us. And so we began to look at it not in what we were losing in the time that he had available to give to us, but we understood that this was a part of our ministry, this was a part of our family ministry, in being able to send him. And we began to recognize that it was good for us to do this. Later on when I became the district youth director there were some years that I was gone 46 of the 52 weekends in ministry and traveling and we taught those same lessons to our children that I understand that this messes up the family plan but I do want you to understand that the part of being raised in a home of people that serve the Lord is learning what it says in Luke 9.23 that you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. It's good for our children to recognize in this day and age, especially when we deny them very little, that there's an aspect of living and parenting in light of God's mission that we recognize that it's okay to deny ourselves some of the things we want and at times even family time so that the purposes of God might be accomplished. Good parenting means that showing your children that the mission is bigger than any of us. Part of our family mission is to develop a loving family that exemplifies relationships that we're meant to be, but the other part involves putting aside some family time from time to time for a greater mission that defines for us what it means to be selfless. And we need to teach our children to learn that we cannot separate our love for God from our sacrificial service to God. In fact, if we don't see And if they don't see their parents making sacrificial choices to serve for God, they will later question whether or not we truly believe what we say we believe. When you love and honor God, it will cost you something. And the sooner our children see that we are willing to make the sacrifices of time and of effort and of money, the less likely they are to ditch God at the age of 18 because they've seen inconsistency within our own homes. So make sure that the mission of God is the priority of your life and the priority of your home. Let your kids see and give them opportunities to join you in serving Him. And after they experience the joy of serving, the hope is that they will continue to serve Him for a life because they'll have seen how God rewards that long after you are gone. Fifthly, parenting in light of God's promises. Don't let a day go by in your home, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins, where you don't talk about heaven, where you don't talk about heaven. The greatest lesson you can teach your children is for them at a very early age to make decisions with an internal mindset in place. Some of you that have been here a while know the story that I've told about my mother when she was on the gates of glory... Just days before she went to see Jesus, she knew that she was in a place where the timing wasn't long and she asked to meet with each of us kids and grandkids alone. And as we walked in to her hospital room to sit with her, she began to tell us, listen, don't be sad for me because I'm about to go to heaven and this is the place that I have been aiming for my whole life since I was a little girl at kids camp and received Jesus Christ as my savior. I've talked to you about it every day and so don't be sad. You can grieve but don't be sad because this is it. I'm almost home. I'm almost there and in that conversation and because it's been a conversation of my home growing up there was no fear of death. It, it began to elevate The idea of glory in our minds that we can't wait to get there. Not that I'm in a rush, but we can't wait to get there because it's been elevated our whole life. And even at the door of death, my mom said, this is it. I've almost finished my race. So help your children process the reality from an early age. Talk about heaven at every funeral you attend, at every family member that passes away, at every pet that dies. It will only reinforce and give you opportunities to talk about heaven, which is the ultimate goal for all of us. I'm thankful to have been raised in a home with that model, and I pray that you yourself would also be raised and raise your children with that. We also remember growing up with the model that as we thought about heaven, it painted the picture for us of everything that we should do and the values that we should make and the way that we should invest the income that God blesses us with. We knew from an early age when my... Now, this is going to date me for some of you, but I used to get an allowance of 10 cents a week. And my mom would give it to me in a nickel and five pennies so that one of the pennies could go in the offering at church to tithe... I do know there's coming a day because I've invested in heaven since I was a little boy that I get to see that investment in full. And as a result of that, we grew up with this scripture resonating within our mind in Matthew 6, 19 and 21. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy but where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there there will your heart be also. I cannot tell you how many times my mother would ask me, where is your treasure today, son? You know, sometimes that was annoying when I wanted to make decisions that weren't necessarily heavenly-minded. But can I tell you how precious those words are to me today to remember back on those conversations And you see, as parents, if you're open about these things, our kids will have the blessing of seeing God come through for us in so many different ways. They will see how God has been true to his promises in the smaller things, which will give them a certainty about the promises of eternal things. And can I tell you that this will help you raise kids that will not be overly afraid of death because they will know they've been investing in heavenly things since they were little children. They will be glad to have the opportunity to see Jesus and it will also help them cope when mom and dad, you get to the age when you no longer are there and I will have the opportunity to stand with them and put an arm around them as we stand next to your casket and celebrate the fact that you're no longer here but you're there and that they will get to see you because of the way that you raised them with an internal perspective on everything. And then I want to conclude with why parenting in light of God's promises will help us not to parent out of fear. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to take a stand against your kids when they're breaking God's law? Are you willing to take a stand against your kids when the biblical values are at stake? There's a passage of Scripture that's found in 1 Samuel. It talks about Eli the priest And what really intrigues me about him, as you look at him as an example, is that he himself had been a faithful priest, but it says that his two older sons, and this is what the Bible says about them, they were worthless men and didn't know God. They were worthless men and didn't know God. Eli had heard about the way his children were living, but he failed to confront them. He knew that they were doing things that they shouldn't do, and yet for whatever reason, it said that he spoke to them about it, but that he never removed them from service and he never punished them. In fact, there is a powerful question that God asks of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, that I have not been able to get out of my mind all week long. And it says this: Why do you honor your sons more than me? God speaking to his priest. I believe that that's a question that every parent may be asked at some time. Why do you love your children? Why do you treat your children and honor them more than you honor me? Because as parents, if you fail to confront things in their lives that you know are not biblical, and if you just give them a word, well, you shouldn't do that, but there is nothing within your life that enforces that, then what we are saying to them by our actions is that having you like me means more to me than having God honor me. This is a heavy passage. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, it says this. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. In the heaviness of this passage, it's important for us to remember that our children should be expected to obey. And I know that we are entering in a day and an age when, when parenting and discipline seems to be something that the experts of our world say, oh, no, no, you've got to let them choose their own way. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you train them in the way that they should go. So God builds for us guidelines and guardrails and He asks us as parents to stand there and to honor Him more than we honor our children so that our children will have a chance to understand the heart of God and to be obedient to Him. Even as teenagers, they are not exempt from God's law. And when they struggle to decide whether or not to follow God on their own, we cannot back down from God's standard out of a fear that they might rebel if I'm a little hard on them. Only the Holy Spirit can change the heart of a child, but if you allow your children to live in a place where the Holy Spirit can do His work, then you're allowing God to do something in the one that He created and He knitted together. He's given them to you for the purpose of raising, but they belong to Him before they belong to you and ultimately they will stand before him and give an account for their life and God will say did you honor your children more than you honored me some of you are in a situation where you said you know pastor i i tried to do everything right with my kids and yet at a certain age they begin to rebel and i find myself today heartbroken over it i want you to know there is no formula there's no formula. I, I wish there was. I wish there was something I could just say, if you follow this formula, everything's going to turn out okay. All I know is that there were many, many times that my wife and I, and I'm sure my parents, prayed, oh, God, in moments of decision when my kids are teenagers, would you just lean on them with the Holy Spirit and, and, and just bump them into the right direction when they're trying to make decisions as to where their life will go? I can think of moments in my life where There were times when I wanted to do something and I knew it was wrong and yet there was this check in my spirit and I knew my parents had been praying and the spirit was leaning on me and there were times when I rebelled against that but I couldn't run from the voice of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, help us to train our children in the way that they should go so that when they are older they will remember these things. I'm going to ask the worship team to please come. very humbling as parents to recognize that we absolutely have to have the help of Christ as we pursue Christ likeness your greatest weapon as parents and as grandparents and as family members is prayer and the word of God don't ever be afraid to continue to pray when you feel as if things are hopeless and helpless pray when you think things are out of your control pray because they belong to God first God will be at work within them when you pray because the whole Bible is characterized by the pursuit of Christ to win us. And if he has gone so far as to die for us, he will never let your children run away when you're praying without a voice of the Spirit knocking on the door of their heart.